Hi, my name is Jan Wilczek from thewolfsound.com. Welcome to Wolf Talk, a podcast about audio programming. In this podcast, you will learn how to build your career in programming or research related to audio, meet programmers and researchers from all around the world, and learn about the intricacies of sound. Hi everyone and welcome to the 18th episode of the Wolf Talk podcast. We're not slowing down, we're not halting on publishing more and more episodes. And today, as usual, I have a very special guest for you, namely Rude Adema, a live sound engineer turned audio programmer. He's really an awesome, awesome guy and I'm sure you'll figure this out. We'll talk on his background, on how he self taught himself programming and then successfully launched a freelancing audio programming career. So you'll hear a lot of tips on how to learn and how to find new programming gigs. I think his story is really, really inspiring and uh, the way he describes it and, you know, his passion for audio is really incredible. So you'll not only take a lot of practical advice, but also a lot of inspiration. And for sure, I did as well. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this interview. So I met Rude at Audio Developer Conference 2023, and I hope to meet him there in 2024 as well. As usual, all the people, places, and references mentioned in this podcast episode can be found under dwolfsound.com slash talk018. Once again, it's dwolfsound.com slash talk018. And if you're curious how to become an audio programmer, I have a free resource just for you. It's my audio plugin developer checklist that lists every piece of knowledge that I believe is necessary to become a full-fledged audio programmer. So if you, like Rude, would like to transition from a, let's say, live sound engineer career to an audio programmer-based role, then I think this resource is just for you. It's dwolfsound.com slash checklist. And now, Ruth Adema. Hi, Ruth. Thanks for agreeing on the interview. Could you introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, yeah, thanks for, uh, for having me. So my name is uh, Ruth Adema. I'm from, uh, from the Netherlands. Um, I'm an audio developer. I use uh, Juice a lot. I go to ADC. I try to build things, and uh, I live here in the middle of the Netherlands, somewhere in a rural town, with my family, wife, and three kids. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thanks a lot, and uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. I think uh, people will be able to learn a lot from you, especially when it comes to to audio uh, freelancing audio programming freelancing so but before we dive into this uh could you please tell the story of how you became interested in audio in the first place yeah i've been thinking about that um i mean the interest was there obviously but what also helped was that my dad had this little little audio mixer it had these these five pin din connectors it was a really really weird thing 
Um, and then I dismantled it, looked how it worked, tried to find it out, couldn't, couldn't put it together. So that thing died at some point, I believe, not really sure. Uh, but that was my first interest. I mean, the basic idea of mixing audio signals together is, is quite interesting. Um, not not even that complex at all, but it is interesting nevertheless. And then I got into musical stuff at the uh, the primary school, where we, as um, I believe in in the in the latest grade, and yeah, we, we call it like like group eight. Um, we have to perform musical and I was like, I, I know how to amplify this. So I, I grabbed some, some microphones and, and some speakers and did my best to, um, to amplify the musical a little bit, which was quite challenging, of course, because of the lack of gear and knowledge, etc. but it was really fun times. And uh, interestingly enough, the, the, the teachers found it, found it really interesting, um, me doing that because they didn't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but yeah, there, there I, I took the first responsibility of, of doing some, uh, some amplification, um, <laughs> for, for the musical, which was quite interesting. Um, later in church, when I still went to church, I was like around the age of 15, I believe or something. There was, uh, like an organization in, 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 um, who worked across all the, the churches in different uh, places, uh, who recorded uh, meetings and um, uh, uh, ceremonies, uh, ser sermons? What, what was, what's the word? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but it could uh, be anything mass, like... Con like oh, the, yeah. The yeah, or, or it was like not a Catholic thing, but, but more oh, on, the, okay. uh, on the other side. The, the, um, uh, so the, the service, uh, I guess. Yeah, service stuff or... Or um, uh, a concert, like in the evening, oh, okay. uh, there would be like like volunteers uh, doing doing nice concert with music and singing and playing and stuff. And this this organization uh, recorded those those events uh, and distributed them ac across uh, people who couldn't attend these kinds of uh, meetings or events, which was really nice. But they had like this little little van. Uh, fully packed with with, with microphones and and uh, like an audio desk and like like a super mini um, outside broadcast vehicle basically. That, that was my introduction to. Okay, so you you play like this this little OBV outside of the of the building, and you pull some cables uh, to the inside and you connect some microphones and then you can record it in a in a really nice way. Um, we we had nice nice gear. I mean, it, it was like Neumann microphones and, and proper 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 gear to to work with. So uh, that was a really nice introduction, and I learned a lot about yeah how how where do you place microphones and how do things sound if you place a microphone here and and the source is there and how are you going to mix that together? It's all all of vo vo volunteers, and then it went into a proper uh, post production as well. And, uh, but yeah, that was a really interesting time. At some point, uh, video got added as well. There were some volunteers who, uh, it was in the time of, of, of like the ESDN connections. Like you had the, the early internet connections with the, uh, the, the, the 56k modems, with, which make the, the noise. But then the step after that was like the, um, the, the high speed, uh, internet connections. 
Um, but that allowed them to start with live streaming to the internet, so live 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 broadcasting basically. Uh, it was really interesting stuff because that gives like a whole other edge because you have to do things proper right away because it's all live, um, and you can't you can't mask things post production basically. Yeah, I I, th I think those those were the main things which, which which sparked my interest into into audio. Awesome. And then since you said that you are 15, then did it push you then to go to some kind of uh, university or a school for for uh, live sound engineers? What was your path from there? No, yeah, my path from there is quite interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I started um, after my... So, so in the Netherlands we have the... Um, I always find it super hard to convert the, 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 the school names systems to, to English. We have primary school, then we have secondary school, I guess. Like, um, and, and then we had another musical stuff, so I didn't attend any, any class, but I was always busy with the audio uh, part and preparations of things. Um, but after that, you go to university or like, like a proper, proper school for, for learning something. And I went to um, a course uh, called Media and Entertainment Management, which was basically a lot of uh, obvious things, but then um, made official from books and stuff. It was quite quite abstract, quite quite uh, for from for management kind of people. I I didn't really like it. I uh, I tried for one and a half year, and then I realized this is I I I don't like this at all. Then I was like, okay, so I'm going to quit this one, but I need some job. Um, and I started looking for companies in the in the area uh, which works with audio basically. And I just entered the door. I walked in and. And just um, present myself like, uh, hey, this is my, this is me, this is my case, um, this is what I want to do, and um, yeah, then they invited me for uh, for um, well interview, but at least to to get to know each other a little bit. And I dressed up really well, like like you always do with with a nice suit and stuff. <laughs> I, I did back then as well, and they were really and it worked, it. and, it, and worked. it worked. <laughs> 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 but uh, interestingly enough, I started as a video engineer, and uh, it, it, it was a company who did a lot of corporate events. So it it's, um, has a lot to do with um, like big screens, uh, multi screens, picture in picture, animations, and and all that kind of stuff. And we did that with um, yeah, with basically with hardware because the whole software stuff was wasn't wasn't anything useful back then. Um, and then I, uh, it, it was basically a really good learning school to learn like everything, like, like how do you solve problems on site or, um, how does video work? How does it relate to audio? All kinds of stuff. It was like, yeah, we, we call it like an AV engineer, like for an audio, audio video engineer. It was really, really interesting, uh, time after that time, um, or I think maybe during that time, I tried to do more technical study. 
uh, or study is, is also not the right word in in, in Netherlands is it's called study but it's so uh, so what what's the name for if you go to school and you you take a course or a program what what what's the proper just a single subject you mean or no not not really like like, you, like a degree yeah oh yeah that 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 makes more sense yeah so I started working on uh, getting a degree for electrical engineering. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Or no, the, I started actually as a, I, I, I can't even remember what what the thing was called. Something else. Also something for management stuff. I don't know. And then six weeks in, I realized again, nope, wrong decision. So um, I quit that and I switched to electrical engineering. Uh, and I found that really hard because of the uh, the, the math, uh, and especially with with some um, like I was I, I missed the, the early the, the, the first part of the education, and it was really really hard to uh, yeah to to dive into that and to get up to speed with with where they currently are. Um, so I quit that as well, uh, and I went back to the same company after that. Um, I quit and I started freelancing as a, as an audio engineer, and then I got into touch with another company in the Netherlands, uh, more of a support engineer club, where, where like in the sense that they they distribute all kinds of brands like Solid State Logic and Visicom, sound devices and stuff, and then I became a, a, a support engineer, so clients who would buy stuff from us, we would support and and design systems for live events or whatever. Like it's really, really interesting. One of the interesting aspects of it was that it was right after Solid State Logic released their live sound console, the, the live audio console, the L500. Uh, and I got to train all the top engineers in the Netherlands on this new console. And it's, it, it, I found it really interesting to, to see someone dive behind a completely new console with like a completely new user interface, different ways of working, and then and then how each engineer tried to solve their problems. Each each engineer has their, their way of doing and the, the way of solving problems, and they need to find a way, okay, so how do I solve the problem on this console the way I like to solve it? Uh, and I learned, I learned um, a, a, um, a massive amount of, of interesting things from, from engineers um, due to that. I also learned that there was no gold standard or anything. So there was there were no two engineers who did things the same. They all had different approaches, which I found really interesting. So um, it also motiv- motivated me and it allowed me to motivate other people. Like you, you can't do it wrong in audio engineering because there is no good or wrong because everyone everyone is doing different things anyway. So. Yeah, I found it really interesting. And after that, um, after that, uh, let me think. I started freelancing again and ended up as uh, doing front of house work for musicals and plays. Um, I did some really weird stuff with recording thousand channels of audio on a live event and um, also did some intercom systems, 
which is a whole other aspect of life sound uh, in some some way so uh, by intercom you mean how the various actors uh come or, or like how the director can communicate with with various actors and various members of the performance yeah not not with the performance but with the crew with so the crew, there was okay. like uh, especially bigger events there's um the need for for crew members to communicate this mm -hmm. There's just one show caller who calls the shots and who follows the um, uh, the what's it called like the the, the the schedule of the of the show and tries to to get everyone on the same page etc. And there's a whole lot of other stuff going on like motion, for example, if a lift goes up and down, they need to to be able to 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 shout something like yeah it's clear so you can go to the next queue or. Uh, stop the show if, if something goes wrong or is unsafe or there's like the pyrokinetics uh, involved as well so and then yeah that, that that could involve like like 50 50 persons who need to be in the same in the same network and then you you would like like uh, divide everything into groups and so that people who needed to talk to each other could could reach each other but but no other people otherwise there's much <laughs> way too many uh, communications going on so yeah Okay, and uh, actually, I, I, I've uh, I've seen the show, so the recording of the show where where you set up like the the thousand channels, it, right? Yeah, like super super impressive. Like it was a huge thing. Like yes, I'm. What what uh, is there like any special term for this kind of event in the Netherlands? Uh, everyone in the Netherlands knows this event. That, that that's a special term, I guess. It, it, it's it's really something special. It's um, I I th I think was it this show that they had like this. Uh, the, the the interesting thing about this this evening is is th that there's music for for three hours nonstop continuously, and then there's like fifteen to twenty different bands involved or something like that, and they they play two or three songs uh, on their own, and then they do like one or two songs with another uh, band or, or like a group and and then the other group takes over and goes on and then the next group comes and they do the something something together and then so there's two stages at least two main stages one big catwalk through through the middle uh, but then they also uh, always come up with with surprising stuff so they 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 let they 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 uh, float a bar uh, through the whole room, it's like a, a place where like seventeen thousand people can can go to, and then they hoist this this, this bar uh, through the whole room, and and people are like like drinking beers on on the bar and singing and playing music or whatever. Uh, they, they even had like uh, a stage coming from from the roof, so the, um, the 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 performance would 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 like prepare on top of. In like on, on in, in in the roof, and then at some point the whole stage would would come down and then float over the public. And like, yeah, you could basically reach the thing. Uh, last year they had a stage where they flipped it like 360 degrees, so so the performance were like were, uh, like upside down. They were all strapped together, and uh, yeah, super interesting stuff. But because of the complexity, there's like I, I don't know how many channels. Yeah, I mean. There's like there's like uh, like like 500 channels. There's like eight nine muddy streams times 56 or 64 channels or whatever. 
uh, going on and they have like uh, multiple consoles for front of house, multiple consoles for monitoring and they all put it in, in one big giant uh, loop and they, they, they can route audio between every every point basically. Um, and, and the more interesting thing even is that they automate the whole thing. So when they call a snapshot and go to the next scene, the whole routing changes to something else so that the audio comes from that stage instead of that stage. And it's super complicated stuff and, and they, they are they are managing that, that, that very, very well. Um, but in order to make sure that the audio gets on, on tape, we, we can either choose to switch at the, right, at the right moment between different streams, but that turned out to be quite sensitive to, to mistakes. If you make a mistake and you switch too late or wrong, then, then you're going to miss a whole part of the show, which is obviously not, not, not the idea. And another aspect of this whole thing is that the post-production happens right away. So um, while all the bands and artists and performers are still there, the, the, the show is like 10 shows or something like 10, 12 shows. So there's sort of like two weeks of, of performing for, uh, for each performer. Uh, and they really want to get the post-production done while all the performers are there so they can uh, review and um, agree on, on, on the specific mix. Uh, and also they stream the live concert within one week or something like that in Amsterdam or something. So there's like a high pressure on, on getting the post-production done within limited amount of time. Um, and, and for that, they built like post-production studios outside of the of the hall where, where, the, where the music is happening. And then one, once, once we've recorded all the audio data, we send the data directly to, to those post-production units outside. Uh, and and someone starts to to edit the show right away, and he he, he pulls an all nighter, and then the next morning the mixing engineers come in with a fully prepared session, and they can start right away. And then, like a couple of hours after the show, uh, they've managed to reduce those uh, five hundred channels to um, to something which they can work with. <laughs> I'm not sure what the limits of Pro Tools are, but yeah, that, that's quite interesting stuff. And then. I, I say thousand channels because we do everything redundant. So we, we mm -hmm. bring out everything to uh, yep. to Ravenna streams and and take redundant uh, recordings. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm just uh, super curious. Like, do they manage or do you manage to do it? You know, without any custom software involved. That's the yes, question. Yes, it's, it's all without custom software. Yeah, I mean the the use case is is so small. I, I every time I I work on this project, I, I I so badly want to create a proper solution for this, <laughs> but then I then I realize it's it's once per year that we need this this gigantic amount of channels, and I mean the challenge is to keep everything in sync because if you, um, like. Obviously, we, we record across multiple uh, recorders, machines. We use uh, um, just plain computers for this. Um, actually, we, we took um, data center servers because of their uh, reliability. The, the, those machines are basically made to turn on once and then 50 years later to turn them off and throw them away. Uh, so they have they have like dual power supplies. Everything is dual, dual CPUs, uh, multiple disks, and, st and stuff. So we use those. But the 
the challenge is to make sure that streams from machine A are perfectly in sync with streams from machine B. And what's even more important is that they, they run at equal speed. Otherwise, you get mm -hmm. drift between the streams over time, yeah. and that, that gets like a post-production uh, challenge, so to speak. Um, so we use both timecode, LTC stuff, to, to know where we are, and then we properly uh, sync everything to, uh, to a common house clock, basically. And we buffer the clock with, with some uh, chasing mechanisms, and, and at some point, uh, an outside uh, broadcast vehicle will will also appear who, who will want to, to, to use this, this LTC stuff. And we sync the whole thing to the, um, to the PA system in, inside, uh, the hall. And yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting case. And, oh yes, do I want to create software for this? But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. The use case seems somewhat limited for, for once per year. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Absolutely. Okay. And, uh, Apart from this, like, uh, can you maybe share on, on which uh, live events you worked on or how did your career then develop from there? My career developed, um, I went on to doing uh, musical stuff. So front of house mixing mainly and, and sound design. I took over from another sound designer who who was basically the, the 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 principal sound designer, and um, I did did all the sh all the shows after that. Uh, was really interesting experience because of the um, the adrenaline rush, basically, because there's like a limited amount of time available to to, to build everything up, and to sound check, to studio, and and to 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 uh, uh, tune the the PA systems uh, to to your liking. And then making sure all the microphones are working reliable. And then there's like a whole list of, of things which need to be correct. Otherwise the show will, will get interrupted or there will be other problems. And then at some point it's, uh, it's eight o'clock, uh, one minute before show and, and you're sitting there waiting for other crew members to become ready and for the, um, for the audience to, to, to settle. And then you get a cue like, uh, hey, dude, can we, uh, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I hope so. Touch wood. <laughs> but, and, and the, the adrenaline rush, which happens at right at that very moment is, is super addictive. It's, 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 it's amazing feeling. And then the, the, the first, uh, the first uh, measures bars, whatever you want to call them. And you feel like, oh, everything's working. Then, then the tension eases eases away, and you can and I can start join uh, um, enjoying the, uh, the the play. Yeah, it's really interesting. But it was like a touring uh, thing, so we built the thing up. Uh, we did the show one, two, three, four, five shows, and then we would would break it down and, and move it to another place, and um, which is an old challenge in itself because of different room acoustics, every time uh, different PA systems and lots of variables to take into account and to make sure that the whole place sounds somewhat in the same the same way across different locations and stuff yeah super inter interesting stuff um yeah that, that was like two or three shows and then the pandemic happened 
which for me was like a revelation because I finally had time to uh, to properly dive into programming, or at least I wanted to do programming for for a while at, at that point. And I spent basically every free hour I had on on, on trying to learn things. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, we we built up the set, and and there was like a press conference in the Netherlands with the prime minister saying like, um, yeah, we're going into lockdown. And and so we, we 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 tore the whole set down again, put it in inside a fan, and and drove away. It, I've never seen the cast after that. It's super weird, basically. But um, yeah, that was that was it. So I went home and I was like, okay, so what now? So I looked at my bank bank account to see what uh, how much slack there was, <laughs> and um, yeah, it gave me some some time to to really think through. Okay, so programming, but what do I want to do in programming? Because programming is quite a wide area of, of expertise. Um, and at some point I had like a really, really logical thought of like, yeah, I'm an audio engineer with programming skills. So let, let's combine those two. And um, I, I started at a Jewish community because uh, I was like, that there's a whole community around it. Uh, Joshua was had already started or was about to start. I'm not sure how long he is busy already, but there, there were like like good communities around audio programming. And I started looking for problems I could solve, trying to to get to meet people. And uh, some, some really interesting projects uh, came out of that. Yeah. Okay. But so before we dive into this, I have a question. So like what interest you, interested you in, in programming in the first place? So why did, did you start learning programming in the first place? Yeah, it's a good, good question. I, I, I don't think I have a clear answer to that. Um, I like to know with certain things how they work, I think. Um, there's also an aspect of programming where you have a lot of power as programmer or, or someone who, who creates stuff inside a digital world, um, which is cheap to get into uh, and has a potential r really big outreach in, 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 in terms of solving a problem. Or, I mean, the world is gigantic when it comes to, to what you can do on a computer, especially if you, if you don't mind programming. Um, that that is one, asp one one aspect of it. I started programming with in, in in C basically, and that that's where I where I really felt comfortable because I learned to it it, it really helped shape my mental model of how memory works, um, how processing on on that memory works, how allocation, deallocation, stack heap, uh, threading. Um, what what the deal is with with, with system calls etc. Uh, pointers really really important topic of course, which can be quite daunting for for new programmers. Um, but I really liked it and I, I started building an audio mixer in in C, which allowed me to route audio between different audio devices, taking into account that I didn't want to drop a single sample. So. I had to take into account the fact that the audio devices on my system are not, not clock synchronized. So there had to be some, some kind of synchronization in between to make sure that, that the thing will run 
basically indefinitely without dropping a sample. Um, because that, that's what I'm used to in, in from live, live audio world is that we never drop a sample. A dropped sample is a big problem because that can potentially be a really loud sample or, or like a really, really loud change in magnitude. And then with, with PAs as powerful these days, that, that can really hurt some people's uh, ears. So, yeah, there's like dropping sample is really not done in, in live sound of broadcast stuff. So that there was a mentality with, which I took with me when, when starting this, this whole endeavor. And um, yeah, with that, I learned about uh, threat priorities, uh, clock domains, synchronization, uh, um, synchronization in terms of uh, between threads and log free stuff. And yeah, that was a really interesting uh interesting subject to dive into um and what what motivates me to to learn is i i think like one thing i really like is is, is learning that that's basically the theme of my whole life i like to learn um and the programming world and software land is is a super good place for that because there's so much to learn and learning is is even part of being a developer, so yeah, I, th I think that that's that comes close comes closest to what I think motivates me to to put through with all the <laughs> all the challenges. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree, and and what you said about learning is is for me is true as well, and uh, especially I think nowadays it's very pleasant because there's just so many materials out there to be able to learn programming in general. And even uh, if you come from a completely different background, I think it's quite easy then to just sit down and start with some tutorial. And in a few minutes, you can get quite an impressive results with all the frameworks you have available, like Juice as an example, that you can just uh, sit down and have a working game plugin, you know, in 30 minutes, for example. Yeah. It's oh, yes. not possible, I, I think, uh, before before these frameworks like Juice or our iPlug 2 then yeah. uh, appeared. So but, yeah, I, I totally, in, totally in 30 understand. 30 minutes with or without race conditions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think with, uh, with race conditions, it's, it's 30 minutes and without race conditions, it's like 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What was your first, uh, first uh, encounter with, with programming or? Oh yeah, so uh, actually, uh, believe it or not, I was uh, I was in high school, and uh, we got we got like this uh, Pascal programming language classes, uh. Uh, which is if you think about it, it's really nasty because it requires you to type a lot of lot of code just to get something done, and it's quite restrictive. But the thing is that uh, I was I was a really good student, but I really sucked at programming at first. And this was because we started learning programming when I was busy with, with other stuff. So I basically had no time you know, to just do the homework. Uh, but then when I went to the university uh, and we started learning you know, C++ at the basic level, and I think MATLAB as well in the first semester, it turned out that you know, this little of programming that I had, it was already enough to be quite good you know, at my, uh, among my peers, so to say. And uh, I, I, I just quickly, and then I had the time to study. So I, I did, you know, the homework and all the assignments and, and I found it super, 
uh, how to say it, super rewarding. The, th the fact that you can compile the program, run it, and you know, it just prints those asterisks, you know, in a, as a Christmas tree. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. It's super, super <laughs> rewarding. And and then the next step was okay, like, uh, I'm I'm because I was studying, you know, audio engineering, and uh, probably uh, with a, with an idea to become a mixing engineer one day. But then I was okay. I'm I'm doing an audio course, so let's do something with audio. And so I was okay. Like, how do I write my own, you know, synthesizer? And uh, and then I, you know, started diving into this direction. And and like in the first year, I was, I was able to to create like very very ugly uh, in terms of code quality sound synthesizer, but it worked and it could play out different, you know, uh, waveforms. And so and and this point, I was I was sold. I was. I want to. I want to uh, do this. You know, a lot, so to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was the the initial thing, and and I always find it funny, you know, that, that I was really bad at it at first, but then I, I really really loved it. Nice. Yeah. Bad, so, bad at, yeah. Yeah. So you were bad at C plus uh, plus. I I was bad at at Pascal. At Pascal, but, but then with C plus uh, plus, like. It's all somehow felt logical to me, and oh, I also yeah, like yeah, yeah. also liked because in C I mean, for programmers it's obvious, but in C in, in Pascal you need to write either function if you return something or procedure if you don't return something. Oh. But in in C you can use void, right? So a function that yeah. returns void, it returns nothing. I mean, it's clear because every programming language now you know has this concept of void. But uh, back then, you know, in Pascal, it, it wasn't the, the case. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it was a bit of programming history. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure then, like, no one is using Pascal anymore, even at, at, at high schools now. I hope so. <laughs> so, uh, and while we are at this topic of, of learning programming, you're, uh, I think, a great example of a self-taught programmer. So. Is there an advice you could give people who, like you, don't have this background in programming, uh, but I would like to start in it? For example, I, I, I can especially think about, you know, sound engineers and musicians. Yeah, in terms of, um, it, it depends a little bit on, on, the, on the direction or the, the, the phase you have in mind. Um, I, I, are you, do you have in mind more the people who want to to start programming with with no background in programming, or is it more people who want to start freelancing uh, or building their own products? What, what, oh what? yeah, okay. So these are actually two very good questions. But let's start with the first one. So how to start programming when you have no background in in right. programming or or even engineering? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think one of the most important things, and, and this is a super boring answer, uh, is you have to love it. Because if you if you don't if you don't love it or, or like it, uh, if you don't find it interesting, then 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 you won't put through with 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 the roadblocks you're going to encounter. There's there's so much unknown, and you will run into so many problems. You really have to. You need to have this interest, this natural interest of, okay, so this is not working. Uh, what am What am I going to do now? Am I going to ditch the project and watch a Netflix movie, or <laughs> am I am I am I getting extra curious 
uh, of, of this and, and, and do I want to dive in? And the sad part of this is you can't reverse it. I mean, you can't decide to like something. Maybe if you, if you don't know you like something, like, like it, it's, it's always good to, to, to try different things and, and to find the things which interest you most and which you feel naturally um, uh, attracted towards too. And, but I mean, there's so many times in programming that I'm like, like hair pulling experiences of why the, the bleep <laughs> is this not working? And that, but yeah, it's an, it's an inter- it's, it's a new, new challenge to dive in and to learn something. I think especially, uh, you need to be persistent if you're starting out in C. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't necessarily recommend people to start with C. For me, that worked really well because of the raw nature of things. At least I feel very close to the metal when, when writing C. Um, C++ also to some extent, but in C++ you can get quite distracted by uh, abstractions which C++ offers, uh, but which don't necessarily translate directly to what's happening under the hood. And the beauty of C is it, it's a super simple language. There's only a couple of constructs and you can create anything you want, basically. If you want to go a, le- a level deeper and go a full assembly, uh, that, 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 that's e- that even more applies. But uh, be my guest. I, I, I didn't do that. I, I can't read an, or write uh, assembly. I, I don't intend to, uh, to go into that level. Um, if you're more like, uh, I just want to find out about the logic of, of programming, then, then a higher level language definitely makes sense. Something like, uh, Python, although Python has, has quirks as well. I actually think that, that, um, uh, Swift is a really good, really good language for people to start because they focused on, on especially the people who are starting out and need to learn the new language. So the facilities to really quickly uh, put something together are, are like really well done. And um, Chris Ledner, the, the, the creator of Swift, also has a really clear vision on that. Um, and, and it goes basically like something like, we need to make it as easy as possible for, for people to dive into this programming language. Um, but that gives us an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to take advantage of that. They, they have this concept called playgrounds, so you open like a, like a sheet and you, you start typing Swift and you hit play and, and you have programmed your first Swift code. Um, good luck trying that with C or C++ or anything <laughs> other than, than invoking the, uh, the, other than invoking the compiler and uh, running a.out. But uh, yeah. Swift okay, and, and these playgrounds, they are locally on your machine or you mean in yep. the web? No, it's, it's all local on your okay, uh, code. Okay. Yeah, so it's head okay. has. I'm not even sure if they still exist, but at some point I did create uh, a Swift application for. I believe it was an iOS uh, app. Oh, that was in the time after the pandemic hit. So uh, when I went home from uh, from my musical, I was like, okay, so where do I, where do I start? And I started programming an iOS app because that's cool. Um, and then I dived into Swift, and I and I really got to appreciate Swift in 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 the consistency, the ease of use, and the constructs you can use. And at a later point, uh, Swift UI came along, which is a really nice way of describing your user interface. Um, 
but I found it really, really interesting. These days, it's not not that relevant to me, at least because of the non non cross platform nature of it. It's it's really an Apple thing. It is not. It, I mean, Swift is also available for Linux and uh, and Windows, but a programming language in itself is not worth that much without community and library ecosystem for different platforms. So, I don't consider Swift really that that being at that cross platform. Okay, okay, but I think I think to sum it up, it's it's a really really concrete advice, especially that that you really need to to love the thing that you're doing. So so thank you thank you for it. So once you uh, decided that you want to pursue this this audio programming lane, then you said that you uh, went to Juice forums to to find like the few uh, the first uh, customers. So could you? Tell maybe the story of what were your beginnings and maybe then on, on which products that you did you uh, manage to work on and how did you approach them? Yeah, so there were um, there were a couple of, uh, of of leads in the first year. It was quite a busy year actually. Um, I reached out to people asking on the forum for for programmers for a certain certain problem and that that could be sometimes like one or two sentences without any explanation or whatsoever but i was like okay so this this sounds to be in my area of interest so let's reach out and and, and see what 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 they need um the first thing i wanted and what the, the the first thing i did was ask them to to meet like like virtually of course because we were in a pandemic um and then i really wanted to try to understand their problem first because uh, be before I, I wanted to offer my services because I, I want to know whether my services are of any use and I think I'm the most capable of of assessing whether my services apply to this problem uh, in, instead of instead of the interviewer um, and that that's how I reached out uh, like like hey I, I, I saw you were having this problem um, Maybe you want to, uh, to 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 set up a video call so we can discuss. I I, I would really like uh, to, uh, to to know more learn more about the, uh, the the specific details of the project, and based on that, uh, maybe maybe I can be of any help. Um, and if not, uh, that that's also not a problem. And then quite a, quite a few people reacted to that, and they and we hopped on a call and we started diving into this problem right away. Uh, and I asked them questions, uh, and apparently those were the right questions because people felt like oh they were being understood because of of how how I asked the questions and and what the questions I asked. Um, it it really helped me understand um, the the problem exactly into the details, like like what what is the context, uh, what are requirements, what what are the expectations. Um, it really helped them to gain trust. Uh, that I'm able to to bring something to the table, or not, but that that's also fine. And uh, in the end, um, five of them said uh, yes, please. So there I was, as a as a rookie uh, programmer with five projects, and and uh, yeah, the same amount of time everyone else has. So it was a really really busy year. It started with uh, with an actually quite challenging project for uh, for a, a speaker manufacturer. Who wanted to deploy a remote control plugin to the Avid uh, Live consoles? So I had to 
to dive into juice and manipulate juice to be able to support the AX DSP stuff. And I dived right into the um, uh, the TI composer, the, the TI, God, I can't even remember the name. It's, it's such a painful experience. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have to write any DSP. I only had to write like a pass-through algorithm. Um, and I, I, I can do that. Like copying some buffers is, is I, I can do that. Um, and then I had to, to go through the whole tool chain of, of the, the Texas Intimates uh, stuff. And luckily, um, the technology from, from Avid is, is, is really well documented and really consistent and, and on a good, good, good level. So um, I basically took the implementation, the AX implementation from Juice and, and, and made, made a fork of that specific module and adapted it to, so it could run on, uh, on, on the DSP uh, version of, of the AX. That was quite challenging, but it worked out at the end and uh, they were happy. Actually, I got that lead from, from one of my previous colleagues uh, from the live, live sound world. Uh, he is a guy who, who goes across the world and, and is does do system design and tuning for all the big acts like uh, Ed Sheeran and, and that, that those kind of, like the, 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 the very biggest events or, um, or rooms um, he, he does those and he's also into the, uh, the, the product side of things for some of their, their hardware products and um, yeah it was just a message like hey how are you doing um, and uh, yeah doing fine and you get to, 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 to speak a bit and to, to chat a bit and, and then yeah, well, what are you doing yeah we do programming plugins and stuff and uh, can you do AEX uh, I've not a, never done it before, so I think uh, I can do it. So what? But uh, what? But what? What? Uh, what you got? And then he came with this project, and I underestimated badly, uh, of course, how much effort it would be and whatever. But <laughs> it was fun anyway. A good, good deep dive into uh, into plugin lands, basically. Yeah. Another one was a really interesting one. They had built like a little, little three um, D printed saxophone, which you could bring along on on public transport or whatever. And then they had an accompanying uh, mobile application who did the actual synthesis of the signal. So it was basically MIDI controller and the synthesis was done on the uh, on the mobile devices. Um, really interesting project. Was not completely my take, my my side of things. There was like, uh, it was like a React Native project, I think. And there were some, some things involved where I'm like, I, I'm not sure if I'm the right person to continue with this project because I, I, I don't really like it. I get frustrated all the time. My expertise is not here. So I think for you guys, it would be better to, to find someone else on, on to continue this work because, uh, yeah, my um, contribution is not, not that valuable in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. but, but at the same time, probably mm, your background as an audio engineer helped a lot right because as you said you were able to ask the right questions but but you also deeply understood the infrastructure so now that you are that you were a programmer you know you knew how to build the tools that you had been previously using and you were yes. also understanding the pain points of of people coming to you with their with their questions with their problems yeah yeah absolutely the interesting thing about uh, about sound engineering and especially live sound engineering is that the context and the limitations of the of the work we do require 
somewhat different things from software and hardware in the sense that um, one, there is not much time to figure out things. Um, by the way, we, we never miss a deadline in live sound. In, in my 15 years of, of doing things, I've never missed, missed a single deadline. I mean, 8, 8 p.m. the show starts, whether we like it or not. Uh, yeah, so that, that's really interesting. I've even had like a corporate event where they, where they came with the PowerPoint presentation less than a minute before we had to start. And then, yeah, we have to load them up into Windows machines and then PowerPoint, which is super scary stuff if you're under such time pressure. Um, but it worked out nevertheless, but I mean, in live sound, there's, there's not much time you have, uh, you have a, a, a really well-defined window of opportunity and there's not much time to try to understand software. Um, we also work in dark environments, non-optimal in the sense that it's a little screen on your side. So buttons have to be a little bit bigger. It also has to be very, very clear whether a button is engaged or not. Uh, we, 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 there, there's no opportunity or room for asking the question, is that button on or off? So the user interface has to be very, very clear about that. So user interfaces in, in these kinds of, um, environments tend to be quite, uh, uh, contrast heavy, like full red, full green or whatever, just to indicate what, what is going on. And, um. Yeah, that, it's, it's an interesting thing. And then the other, other part of it is, is software can't fail. I mean, if your software, if your software fails and it crashes or whatever, yeah, then that, that's a potential show stop. So to, to people who program software, audio software for, for live sound, I tell them like, what, what's a security vulnerability for Microsoft is a potential showstopper for a live sound engineer. Because if you, corrupt your state with some data arrays or unsynchronized access or whatever. Yeah, that could, that could mean that, that something else in your memory will get corrupted or you get an, uh, a bad access uh, crash, whatever. Yeah, that, that's a potential showstopper. If you, if you learn about how things are connected together in live events, that, that's quite scary anyway, if you consider the amount of single point of failures and things are getting getting better luckily but um, it makes thinking about reliability uh, much more important basically I mean crashing a door is never good don't 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 uh, <laughs> let, let's be very clear about that but um, crashing a live sound system is even worse to potential showstopper and you have to say to 20,000 people uh, yeah sorry uh, the thing crashed we can't get it up and running, so please go home. A lot of people don't like that. <laughs> yeah, so around, the impact, the impact 20, tends to be people, a little bit yeah. bigger. And then with, with the whole transition from analog to digital, where we where we transfer like uh, potentially even hundreds uh, hundreds uh, of, of channels over a single uh, fiber or copper uh, connection. If that connection fails, then then it's the, 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 the all the hundred channels who are um, who are at risk while in audio land it's mostly like one or two channels which might start to hum or or which might lose signal so the impact is much 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 less than than in the modern digital world it's interesting stuff oh yeah sure
Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. And where uh, were we? I don't even know. Oh yeah, about the projects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were some other projects as well. But okay, so you you want to mention some specific ones? Um, yeah, I already mentioned two uh, two two projects. Um, another one is. Uh, had in had um, involves uh, reverse engineering airplay a little bit. It's a plugin which allows you to uh, to receive uh, audio from your mobile device directly into your door. Um, but yeah, that stuff is just non-documented, and I had to uh, to dive in a little bit to find out uh, how that stuff worked and and make it make it work. But um, yeah, that also worked out. So. Um, yeah, those those were five projects. There was another one, uh, five projects in the first year. Um, it was a really good deep dive into working together with with other people and do code reviews and learn how that works and and, and learning about uh, continuous integration setups and, and releases and QA and stuff. And um, it was a good good first year. Yeah, for sure. Nice and. Uh so because you seem to have a very good experience in this and uh, i think everyone who's starting out asks this question ad nauseum would you answer it uh, yourself namely how do you find new gigs as a freelance audio programmer yeah i think um looking around uh, on the juice forum really helps there's regularly uh, people asking uh, for for engineers who can help on a specific problem. I also got into contact with with one person on Reddit, but there's not much happening there. Um, and other than that, I think f uh, looking for the community around um, around audio development. So if you're able to attend ADC in one way or another. Um, or to go into the discords which are available um, and just chatting with people, learning about it. If you want, um, yeah, that, that is that is really for, for starting out as a fresh. It also really depends a little bit on, on where your expertise is. So if you're really starting out, then um, I think I would recommend trying to find a job somewhere. Um, because that allows you to learn about good practices and to have people around who you can ask when, when you're stuck or if you want to, to have someone review your code or solution or whatever. If you want to go freelancing, then I think it really helps to become an expert on, on some subjects and to really dive into that and, and, and get, get all the know-how there is and ex expertise. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. There's there's not that not really a job board. Uh oh yeah, also um posting on uh, LinkedIn or um uh, uh telling on LinkedIn that that you're a juice that, that that you know juice and C and audio programming also helps because there's there's regularly recruiters coming my way because of those uh those skill sets. And uh, other than that, um I'm not really sure. Yeah, try try to reach out to people as much as you can. 
and having uh, try to have an interesting conversation or just uh, be interested in other people, other people, other companies. Or yeah, nice, nice. Uh, I think that's a very concrete advice mm, that people can appreciate. Of course, there is no hard and fast rule how to do it, but uh, I think that's already very helpful. Just simply through learning how how other people had done it. But you're I, not I think I think the gist of it. Uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, the gist ahead. of it is to uh, to um, what's what's how, how should I say this? To uh, to reach out to people and try to get into contact with people. Okay. Mm, what, what I yeah that's that's definitely something that that worked uh, in your case as well, but I, I cannot imagine it not working in general. So uh, what I wanted to say is that you're not only freelancing, but you also have, uh, you're also war working on your own products. For example, I know that you publish uh, Mix to Mobile, which I think is, is really cool. And could you explain what was the idea behind it? How did the development process go? And uh, also, I'm super curious. How did you market this? Yeah, so right, let, yeah. let's let's start with the, with the idea. With the idea, the idea came from my time as a live sound engineer, where um, another sound designer reached out or mentioned someone something over beer uh, because he was looking for uh, for a solution to stream audio to twenty Android smartphones or something like that. Uh, and, and the solutions out there were not latent, low latency enough, so there was too much latency involved too. I mean, the streaming over Wi-Fi is always a balance between reliability and dropouts versus latency. The higher the latency, the more stable you can stream. Um, but for some live application, you just need the lower latency, and he couldn't find one. And I mentioned casually, like, um, I don't know, I would just start with shooting some U some UDP packets towards those devices and off you go. Whereas he was like, uh, okay, sounds good. <laughs> so, and and that that is that is one aspect of of um so then I started to to own this problem because I kind of had promised him to to dive into this not knowing what what kind of challenge that would be. Uh, but I think that that's a good trait for an engineer in general to own a problem and to finish it. Um, if you if you if you're able to show that to uh, potential employers or clients, they 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 generally are very happy about that kind of uh, approach. Um, but then I started uh, diving into uh, into the world of Android. Uh, because I needed to to receive some UDP audio streams, I, I used my previous audio mixer application, which I used for learning C. Um, interestingly enough, it, it was so bad that I, I really uh, couldn't find out why my release build wasn't working, but my debug build was. And then later I learned that if you assert things, they get compiled away in release, but not in debug. So there was like like half my code was like had like a search around it just as a way of avoiding um, um, error uh, handling. But then in release, half of my code was stripped away basically. And it, 
<laughs> it wouldn't work. So I just compiled in debug and off we off, off we went and it worked fine. Um, and I created some little little uh, receiver application on on for the for the for the Androids with Java GNI, which was a whole other story. Um, but in the end, I was able to to receive and, and broadcast the audio from a Mac to uh, to twenty smartphones. Within reasonable latency, I think some, something like like 100, 150 milliseconds or something like that, and uh, they used it for uh, for a year and a half for for an art project where where um, uh, people would would get and receive this this Android phone as part of the experience. Super fun. So I always thought like, okay, so this is interesting. Uh, at at some point, I really want to translate this into a real product so that people can buy it and use it, and then. Then it's interesting because that's the moment where you start realizing how big of a gap there is between making something work and making something a proper piece of software. That 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 turns out to be a huge amount of work. <laughs> uh, in the meanwhile, I found these uh, these these new projects uh, we discussed, so I hadn't that much time to work on this. Um, but I still had it in mind. Uh, when I worked for another project, uh, I learned that the people were actually requesting this this functionality. Um, and then at some point, I, I decided to dive into this. I did the whole uh, work I previously had, the, the, the C audio engine thing and the Android app, and I switched to, uh, to Juice. Uh, then I got into a really big... Uh, paralysis analysis problem, uh, which is uh, a term to describe a problem where you, where there's like a bunch of multiple solutions to a problem, and, and you can't decide. And at some point, um, like researching is really important and, and and valuable, but at some point, there's nothing more to research, and the only way to make a decision is to dive in and to try it out. Um, I generally don't have much patience for that uh, because that that takes more effort more time um and in this case it, w- it was eating me alive so i i just asked another programmer who i highly regard uh, in in regards to uh, to networking code stuff to to wire up um um some code for transporting the audio streams between devices um and and that helped me to eliminate the paralysis analysis on that uh, on on that side of things. Um, then the next thing was like, okay, so how is how is the user interface going to look like? Um, I'm really one of those guys coming from live sound where I'm like, things need to be really uncomplicated. So I want to make it as simple as possible. Um, and in the case of mixed mobile, I think. I succeeded with that because it's literally two, three clicks. You instantiate a plugin, you open the app, and you hit start playing on the on the discovered stream. So there's no links or, or IP addresses or whatever. It, it's super straightforward, super simple, super quick. It makes it an ideal tool to 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 have with you, and and use it a couple of times per day just to to reference check your mix or whatever. And um, then I got into uh, selling the thing, so you get into notarization stuff and signing and and, and jumping through Apple uh, hoops. Uh, I needed to have some multi- multicast permissions because of the discovery mechanism. 
which requires uh, separate device profiles. Uh, with and you have to ask Apple if I may use these uh, multicast permissions, and they grant it to you and stuff. Uh, the whole notarization stuff. Um, then the app has to go into the uh, into the App Store, of course, because people need to download the app. So that's a whole, whole another story. Um, but in the end, that that worked out quite well. Um, they need to see like a demo video of what your app is doing because they they can't. Uh, they they won't uh, instantiate logic with a plugin to try uh, to try out the app. So the alternative is to 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 video it and to send that over. Um, later, I published to the Google Play Store, which is similar, less less strict, a bit more easy, I think. Um, but yeah, that that worked out. Um, and, and people started to, uh, to 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 buy the the, the plugin. To my surprise, um, yeah, I mean, it's super scary to release your first product. It's uh, it's 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 super easy to think, oh, but I need to polish this little feature because I'm not not fully happy with it. So instead of creating a sales page as a programmer, I tend to go into refactoring something which does not add any value at all because the previous solution was working was working fine. But at, at some point I was like, yeah, but I just have to release. Otherwise there's no point in making this stuff. I, I, I really like making stuff for people to use and, 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 and to help people with, with the workflow or in whatever ways possible, but software isn't meant to to do nothing. It's yeah, that, to, that's uh, true. But yeah. the beautiful thing with software and the internet nowadays is that you can always update it. So that's why I, I love digital content. You can always bump the version and go exactly. further. I know, I know there, there are extra maybe complexities uh, which are involved, but it's not like you know you outsource the manufacturing. You create one hundred thousand units, and then it turns out yes. that, that they all can go to trash because there was some bug or something's not working. So software in this regard is is super nice and flexible. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Which brings me to to lessons learned. <laughs> Always uh, archive the debug symbols. <laughs> before releasing <laughs> okay <laughs> because the software will crash at least in my case the the, the, the whole the, the 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 challenge with mixed mobile is that there's uh, a lot more environment variables which influence the performance and behavior of the application so first of all there's networking involved um discovery some networks block discovery of multicast uh, stuff Sometimes Wi-Fi networks are not that performant and, and the audio stream will, will, will drop out. Um, sometimes an audio, like an uh, Ethernet connector or Ethernet adapter will disappear. Your, your software have to, has to, to update um, a state after that. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts around this particular application, which makes it quite challenging to, to make it bug-free. Um, and I definitely wouldn't recommend such a project for, for new programmers to dive into this. Just stick with your normal game 
<laughs> plug-in or whatever. <laughs> because the environment is much more isolated. I mean, true, you have the differences of the of, of how DOS call your your plugin because there's not really an official con contract for that. Um, but other than that, it's like audio in, audio out, and, and some parameters, coefficients, which you adjust according to the user's needs. Um, and that's it. I mean, there's there's lot there's enough challenges with with thread synchronization and uh, data race uh, stuff. But yeah, in that sense, mixed mobile is quite challenging. And then and then things will will crash, and then you get some weird numbers from an effort crash log thing, and then you're like, I don't know. <laughs> so in hindsight, I should have started that right away. But I um, after that started happening. Uh, there were some crashes, not not many, but on some some systems, especially with with Avid hardware or something, there were some some specific configurations which uh, ended up uh, badly for for Mr. Mobile. And uh, I've now also added a diagnostics button, so people can hit the diagnostics uh, button, and it will generate a zip file, which they can wire over, which gives me insight into what happens logging proper logging inside of it and device state etc yeah <laughs> nice nice so it's 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 i think it's a super interesting thing and uh yeah mm, I, I have a question maybe related to it but that's in a little bit because one, one, one thing is that i wanted to ask is that you mentioned audio developer conference and uh, could you maybe uh, tell the story of how you discovered the conference and to which ones did you go and and what is your impression of this event in general yeah, when I was, um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I went to the ADC the first time was, I think, within in the pandemic, actually. The UK was one of the first countries to open up borders uh, and, and allow other people to come over. There was no, um, no, no distance rules, I believe. Um, but that was, I think, the first conference. But at, at some point... Um, yeah, my, my wife can be a really good uh, point of reflection uh, sometimes uh, when I was talking about this conference and she was like, but that sounds exactly like the conference in your uh, in your area of expertise and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why, why don't you go there then? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question. Let's go. And then I found a really, really nice and welcoming community of audio programmers who are really curious into, yeah, well, creating all kinds of musical instruments, digital musical instruments and synthesizers and audio processing or whatever. I mean, the, the full variety of things, MIDI controllers and stuff. And uh, I, I really like the scale of it. It's, 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 it's compared to other big conferences, the scale is, is quite, quite, uh, quite limited, I think. But it, it really is, it makes it less daunting, I think. Um, and it allows you to to get to know people really, and and to run in them to uh, in, in, in into them next year again and catch up and. But yeah, that that is the the, the main thing for me is is ADC is, is all about meeting people, and sharing ideas, uh, hearing about new technologies, innovations. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree and. Uh... Is an incredibly welcoming community, and it's it's so easy to just start a conversation with someone, 
which is always very interesting and can create a possibly long lasting you know relationship yeah for uh, sure yeah so, so i mean I really like the, it, the yeah. fact that there is a chance on the ma on the monday evening to run into another audio developer in a pub is 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 once per year higher than 0.0001% i mean that's nice <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you can basically walk up to someone and and be pretty sure that it's the same same area of interest yeah that makes it really easy yeah for sure yeah and and obviously you can you can learn a ton that's uh yes not, yeah the, not, the, the talks are great yeah 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 you have given a talk how 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 was that you did, did not you attend <laughs> no <laughs> i believe uh, uh, i have i have such a bad excuse and i'm really <laughs> talking about badges interfaces we have this 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 app schedule the schedule app and it, it it didn't switch back to the uk time zone for oh, some okay. reason so the whole ios environment uh, uh switched correctly to the new time zone but the the schedule app didn't oh, okay you yeah, can always uh, watch it in hindsight i think yes, the, the yes. Available. but i know it's super hard to get to them after the conference because it, 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 it's hard to find the time for it. But yeah, like the, the, the talks, uh, so I did two talks this year and, and last year, and they both, uh, both went really well in the sense that uh, even if there were some negative impressions, people were polite enough not, <laughs> not to voice them. But yeah, in all seriousness, people were, were, were quite interested and I received some, some positive feedback afterwards. So I'm, I'm very happy and uh, I think it's something that we can relate to uh, to what you said about this live event, right? Because your talk is at a specific time. You need to show up, you need to be prepared. And and uh, then you get this adrenaline rush. And uh, I personally hate when, when I, I'm watching a talk and someone is like, yeah, I had it in the slides, but I cannot find it right now. Or, yeah. uh, excuse me, I'm not prepared. <laughs> yeah, as a, as, a, as, a, as a listener, I don't care. So as a speaker, I, these are the things I always want to address so that people know they get valuable information and delivered in the right order. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. That makes it so much more pleasant to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, so do, you learn, do you learn yourself a lot by giving the talks? I mean, sometimes people say like the best way to learn is to teach. Uh, that's, that's such a good question. So I learn a ton by running the YouTube channel and writing the articles, uh, especially there because I feel like it, again, as a reader, it would be super annoying that you're reading a tutorial, you follow step by step, but then it doesn't work. And there it's, I really try to, you know, be very precise what to do. And, and which steps to follow to achieve a certain goal and to go, like I mentioned, every detail that's necessary. And on the flip side, you know, there's just so much untrue information about digital signal processing floating around the internet. Oh, really? And then I say, okay, like, I really want to be like a, you know, a trustworthy person <laughs> in the sense that uh, when I write something, I want to believe that, that it is correct. And when people can can find it they can reference it you know like a, like a r scientific publication basically and it's not just you know another blog that just you know throwing stuff 
out there and 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 wishing it to stick. Maybe maybe something I should done I should do then. Maybe I would put out a lot more content, but that I simply wouldn't feel comfortable with it. Uh, like mistakes can happen, but but there are different kinds of mistakes, and especially when I when I write something, I, I take care to to reference the sources. And now when it comes to the ADC talks. There, uh, I must say, I, I mean, I learned a little bit, but these were mostly, the, both of these talks were mostly based on my previous experience. So I was mostly just documenting what I had done previously. And because uh, there I, I felt this is a kind of experience worth sharing with the community. It's not something that's, that had not been done before. Uh, but it's not in the sen- in the way that I'm, you know, just uh, rephrasing information that's available out there. So these were these were things that were coming mostly from my experience. So I was just mostly revising uh, what I had previously uh, already in one form or another already. So that was uh, the answer to your question. Uh, what, what what kind of feedback give give people? Or what what kind of questions uh, did do people give after the talk? Uh, so to to be uh, specific, mm, this year I gave a talk about uh, you know how to write bug free audio code. So it's something that, that is close to your heart, <laughs> and um, people like they tended to give me like a general feedback, like general positive feedback. So yeah, it was a nice talk and I learned something, I'll try this and this uh, of the techniques you mentioned. Uh, and also when the people were asking questions, then, when, then they were asking about particular libraries for audio testing, are they out there? Uh, which is possibly a good idea for a talks next year or maybe for you, something to work on. And uh, people were also asking, because I was there presenting an approach that uses also Python to test C++ code, uh, especially DSP C++ code. And people were asking, okay, maybe would it be feasible to, to do this the same with, with the Julia programming language and, and these kind of questions. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the thing that I can, I can remember. I think there were there were other questions as well, but they just you know don't come to my mind at this moment. Have you have you, have you considered uh, whether uh, Mojo could be an interesting programming language for the audio community? I, I I'm not sure if I know this programming language. Uh, Mojo like, is created for the um, uh, for the uh, neural networks for the the machine learning world. Ah, okay. So this is the I know this is the Python-like language that's the super set. Spe- yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's specifically optimized for neural networks. Okay. Yeah. And I the know. interesting thing about yeah, it, okay. as far as I understand, my my knowledge is absolutely not into this direction. So I could be completely wrong here. <laughs> what what if I understand correctly? What Mojo does is it op- optimizes the code for a specific target platform instead of. Um, where you normally would use like some some intermediate representation like the the the, the clang stuff um mojo seems to be able to know 
at which platform is going to run and optimize for that specifically. So they they claim even better performance than than C++, for example. Um, and since they require so so um, this level of control, detailed detailed control over uh, CPU execution and memory locations and stuff, I'm, I'm still wondering what may, maybe it's an interesting language for for the audio programmers to dive into. I don't know. I've, I've never never heard of anyone talking about this in our community or anything, but crossed my mind. Yeah, that's an idea for a talk next year. But uh, I think it also boils down to the real-time guarantees, right? So I guess everything you call from the language uh, needs to declare whether it's real-time safe or not. Mm, and with Python, it was typically problematic. And, mm, I think... Yeah, Python, with, with Python, it's problematic. But, but the Mojo language, as I understand, would give you control over allocations and system calls at least to that level but anyway just just a just a, just a, a separate thought here as you said there's so much to learn <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so it's definitely uh, worth worth checking out yeah okay so moving on to to the next question uh we talked about your freelancing projects we talked about uh your products that you're developing. We talked about Audio Developer Conference. Then could you tell us uh, right now at the switch of 2023 to 2024, what are your plans for the nearest future? What are my plans for the nearest future? Um, the direct plans are to learn and to get some more marketing going. For uh, for mixed mobile, I'm also about to release a separate application, which can be used by audio professionals in the live sound um, for remote listening to their audio channels. It's an iPad app which allows you to uh, to give avatars to the channels and then select which one you want to listen to, and it remote controls an audio matrix. And uh, aside from that, I don't have really specific goals. I mean, we all want to create a DAW, of course. At least I want to create a DAW, but I attended a talk from Dave who highly suggested to not do that because it's complicated. <laughs> but look how much you can learn, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that is the interesting point. So I, I, am, I am always trying to find the right balance between um, what do I want to do and, and what is like the most interesting thing to do and, and what thing moves the needle for, for mm -hmm. me as a freelancer or for my publishing side of things. And th those things don't always align uh, in mm -hmm. the sense that sometimes it's easier to just take a well-known language like C++ instead of wanting to dive into Rust, for example, um, because that will take another year of getting up to speed, basically. Um, but yeah, that, that, it's, it's always a challenge. Uh, I think the balance between those is, is, is it feels nice, at least feeling productive, but also curious and, and being able to dive into uh, new technologies, new stuff. Yeah. Okay, it's, I think it's, it's super nice. 
So when we talk about the technologies, then could you tell us a little bit on how you organize your work and what is your current tech stack? So what's the platform you're developing on? What's your IDE? Which languages do you use? And libraries and frameworks? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a Mac user. Um, sorry about that, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. I think uh, Mac is a really good platform. Uh, has its quirks, especially when updating. Um, but for me, it feels uh, feels very uh, very nice to work in. Um, I I also enjoyed working on on Linux uh, a lot, like the uh, the audio mixer I described. I initially built on Linux, and in the end, I, I I do appreciate Linux more as an operating system for a developer because it's super consistent, super clear, super super everything, and it, it's open source, so there's there's no there's there's less surprises than than when using macOS, which seems to be moving a bit faster, but also breaking things a bit quicker. Um, and then I'm uh, then I use Sea Lion, which has been a lifesaver. Um, I really care about uh, the formatting of my code, but I don't want to spend any mental energy on it. So I use Clang uh, Clang format, okay. uh, the auto format thing utility. Um, I also use Clang Clang Tidy, so just to give me as much war as many warnings as I possibly can to 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 ensure uh, to to avoid the, the C plus plus foot guns. Basically, um, a year ago I switched to VZ Package as a package manager using CMake, etc., and that is a, that has been a really good uh, good switch. I'm super happy with that. I use uh, the new formatting library for formatting strings. I believe it's now in C++ 20 or 23, I think. Then there's uh, SPD log for, for logging facilities. Uh, there's all kinds of libraries available on uh, Visa package. Uh, so it's amazing how it, how it works. It works, it works really, really well. Um, yeah, and that, that, that's my main, uh, main IDE setup. I use a bit of uh, Copilot, which sometimes is really helpful and sometimes super annoying. Um, but in some cases, I do find it interesting. Like sometimes it hallucinates; it 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 it, it comes up with things which which are not not there. But then I'm it to me it often is really inspiring. Like, oh, that's actually quite a good function name. I should rename this to that. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> and okay, uh, so, like semantically, then mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always try to uh, to document things, if, even for me as a single solo developer, because I I've run into too many cases where I'm like after six weeks, like what 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 is this supposed to do, and, and what does it do, and I don't <laughs> understand any of it. So uh, in that sense, Juice has helped me learn to program really well because the way Juice is written is is uh, really different from how uh, vanilla C++ is written. Or, or like, yeah, I mean, there's not really a golden standard in C++ land, but Juice is in some way like a, a sub-language of C++. Um, but the way they name functions and how they organize things and how they decouple things with listeners and stuff 
has really helped me become a good programmer. Um, and I I can definitely recommend for for new people to to look into the Juice source code because it's, it's super high quality, and and super well written. It, it's it it almost feels like a higher level language inside C in some way. I mean, if you need to truncate some some part of a string, or, or find a substring, good luck in uh, in 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 uh, stood, uh, in, in, the, in the standard library of C But in Juice, it's just a simple function call. So. Um, yeah, my, my, my code looks a lot like uh, how Juice is written. Okay, nice. Because so I, I thought the same thing that uh, you can always argue about, you know, the quality or the architecture of Juice. But the thing is that if you go into this code, you read the source code, you understand what is happening at every yes. level. And that's, that's amazing. That's simply yeah, amazing. And it's they, not easy to really achievable. good job on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wholeheartedly agree. And then there's the. Um, the, the thread sanitizers, uh, the address sanitizers. So I tend to run with these as well as at least before release. And most of the time things come up. Um, yeah, I know I know enough of C++ to know that I don't know C++ basically. So I try to <laughs> avoid as many problems or potential traps I can, I can fall into. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's a great, great uh, thing. And hey, if we have the tools, right, why not use them and to our advantage? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sometimes it, it takes a little bit of setting up or, I mean, I even meet people from nowadays who have never heard of CMake or <laughs> that them like, but how, how do you, I mean, <laughs> that, that's also, that's also my ignorance. Like, like, but how do you build without CMake? Uh, but then it's, then it's like, like just a plain IDE project, Xcode or official uh, studio or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> these days I wouldn't want to have anything else. Uh, Ninja really helps speeding up the compilation time. Um, and, and with, with CMake, it's a, it's a breeze. CMake in itself is not that great, but yeah, it really does the job. It's super stable. So. Okay. Nice. And uh, still keeping with your workflow, there's a, a question I really like to ask every audio programmer out there. Then do you listen to music while programming? No, not at all. I find it really distracting. <laughs> okay. I listen to, uh, sometimes when I really want to go into focus mode, I, I put on some noise generator mm -hmm. and, and, and turn, on my, uh, turn it on my AirPods like really low but just to have some noise floor and, and that, that really helps getting me into the, into the, the, the focus zone basically. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. There's a really good, uh, utility on Mac OS uh, called audio test, which has a really high quality, nice sounding noise generator. And then, I mean, yeah, how, how, how different can a noise generator be, but this one really sounds, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Okay, Rude, thanks a lot for this interview. Thanks a lot for this conversation, for sharing all your experience. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was it was my pleasure. It was also a pleasure to, to talk to you during the Audio Developers Conference 2023. And exactly, if someone wanted to contact you, someone from the audience, where would you recommend they go? Just go to uh, soundondigital.com and uh hit me a support message i um i'm the one handling the support i i am the support department uh, and i try to answer as quickly as possible because i think 
the most important thing for a software publisher is to be, be as close as possible to the users. So, uh, yeah, you'll definitely find me there. And otherwise, LinkedIn is a possibility as well. Okay. Thanks a lot. And I wish you all the best and good luck in all your professional endeavors. Thank you. You too. All right, everyone. That was Ruud Adema. Thanks, Ruud, for agreeing on this interview. As usual, all people, places, and references mentioned in this podcast episode can be found under dwolfsound.com slash talk018. Once again, it's dwolfsound.com slash talk018. Don't forget about your free audio plugin developer checklist under dwolfsound.com slash checklist. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please consider hitting the thumbs up on YouTube, subscribing to the channel, and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening and see you in the next one. Take care.